0: Thanks brother. Thank you. Hmm. Morning brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to open your Bible to Genesis, please, chapter 1. I am intending to speak as a Canadian to Canadians this morning, and to my American brothers and sisters, I trust that the truth of God's Word will be applicable in its own ways, but this particular message has been on my heart for our country, and I hope that is not overstating the matter. Eleven years ago, I received a phone call. It was the dreaded phone call. It was the cardiologist for my infant son. And she was confirming to us our worst fear, uh, that my son had been, had, bo- had been born with a genetic disability, missing 26 genes on the seventh chromosome of every cell of his body. He would be cognitively impaired. He would look different from everybody else. He would deal throughout his lifetime with multiple health issues, and my family was thrust into the world of disability. That world very quickly highlighted, if you like, set in stark relief certain aspects of our broader culture. So being taken into that world, for, for me, was used of God to put on display aspects of our broader culture. We attended a certain event that was aimed for families like our own, and as the day progressed, I, I felt like Paul in Athens, as my spirit burned within me because as i spoke to parent after parent this was not a christian event this was just you know an event for parents as as i listened to them i heard them over and over and over again essentially attempting to justify the existence of their child by pointing out to the contribution that that child would possibly make to society and in some cases it was a desperate attempt For the reality was that child was going to make very little contribution to society. In my mind, it put on display this insidious doctrine of Satan that we might call utilitarianism, which essentially says your value is determined by your contribution. The Lord used my son's disability to expose to me where I had adopted that value where this way of thinking had settled into my own heart where people's value was determined by their contribution to society whether the society was my neighborhood or whether it was my church or whether it was my own family The gospel says, I make no contributions. And yet God treats me as remarkably valuable by the sending of his own son to die in my place. But I think we can pull the curtain back on God's word even further and see that it is not only in the gospel not only for those who are saved by grace, that there is a value in God's economy. Rather, I think as you look at the broader scope of the Scriptures, you will see with me that every soul of every person is of great value because it is made in the image of God. As I flew from Toronto to Vancouver last week, I was praying for this conference, and I had in mind a very different message for this time slot. And I am not given to such things, but as I was praying for you and praying for this conference, I suddenly felt a a strong sense of something. So I wrote Steve, I don't, I, I'm not sure, I'm not good at this, discerning if this is the Spirit of God or just discerning if this is me. And so in consultation with him, I decided to change my talk for this segment because flying over our country, it was a beautiful, clear day. And I'm looking down on my country and I was burdened again with this thought. Listen, my, my bread and butter in preaching is going through books of the Bible and preaching them. But today I want to step back and take a redemptive historical look at this concept, image of God. And I want to divide it under sort of four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And I am doing this because I want to empower you, in, you in particular my brother pastor or future pastor, I want to empower you to be bold for the cause of life. As disciples, to take the risk of living like every single life matters. Now, just if you will, think about this with me. First of all, under the heading of creation. Something shocking happens in the story of creation. You hit the sixth day of creation. The beast and the livestock are made, everything according to its kind. Dogs like dogs, pachyderms like pachyderms, eye eyes like eye eyes. And then you read this in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything made according to its kind... Until you come to man, in our image, in our likeness, says the Lord. Verse 27, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the Latin, the imago Dei, the image of God. And it is this that sets humanity apart from all the rest of creation. All the other creatures made after their kind, but man, if you like, after another kind created in the image of God, which is why Adam and Eve take first place in the entire created order because they are created in the image of God. But what does that mean, to be made in God's image and to be made in God's likeness? Well, At one level, those terms are used, I think, synonymously. They seem to be interchangeable. In chapter 5 and verse 1, we read, when God, I'm in Genesis, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And then in chapter 9 and verse 6, for God made man in his own image. And it it appears from the usage of the words that the terms image and likeness can be used together or either singularly, and and the same preposition switched around to go with each one so that the Two words are communicating one idea. Image and likeness communicate one concept, and that one concept is that Adam was like God. He was patterned after God. He was the fullest reflection of God in all of creation. There was more of God, more of who God really is. More of this could be seen in Adam and Eve than in the garden in Eden, in that perfect garden. And as image bearers, Adam and Eve possessed all that was involved in representing God on the earth to the rest of creation. To be made in the image of God, as Wayne Grudem writes in his systematic theology, means man was like God and represented God. How is he like God? Well, he has rational capacities, doesn't he? The ability to reason, to use complex language, to be creative, to express emotions, to make moral decisions. Man exists in relationship, and so the marriage union, the dominion over creation, our relationship to the created order. Even in our physical bodies, there is a sense of imaging God. And we need to be careful there. God does not have a body. God is spirit. God does not look like a really big man and we're just little tiny reflections of that the bobbleheads of the divine or something like that but but we we are reflecting aspects of the invisible god the invisible god who sees and the invisible god who hears and the invisible god who understands and the invisible god who speaks and so by our created bodies our bodies enable us to image these things about god himself i have eyes that enable me to see Ears that enable me to hear, not as well as they used to. A mouth that enables me to speak. A brain and the senses of taste and smell so that I can understand. So even in my physical body, in your physical body, we see something of the imago Dei, something of the image of God, not in its structure, not in its color, but in how it enables us to reflect God. And all of this together means that when God, think of this, when God desired to make something more like himself than anything else, he made Adam and Eve. Mankind. But something happened. This is creation. Secondly, we move to fall. What is the thing that happened? Sin. Sin. There was a season in church history which taught that when sin entered into the world, man lost the image of God. But of course, that is impossible. The Imago Dei is not some attachment, not some spiritual status that is appended to man's humanity. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7, Paul says, man is the image of God. He just is. He bears it. He is made in that likeness, although something did happen to that image. The imago Dei was not removed, and the proof of that is found in Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, God speaking again, and he says in verse 6 Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, and here's the reason for God made man in his own image. Whoever sheds the blood of man commits murder. By man shall his blood be shed, capital punishment, for God made man in his own image. So even after sin enters the world, even after the curse is brought against man, even after the judgment of the flood, God is appealing to the Imago day as the reason why murder is prohibited. Why? Because man is made in the image of God. He is like God and he is representing God to creation. Therefore, to kill a man is ultimately to strike out against God. The Imago Dei is not lost. This means, my brothers and sisters, that every every human life is of superior value in the created order for the simple fact that it is made in the image of God. Every human life is of superior value because it is made in the image of God. Value value is inherent. It is not earned. The value of your life, the value of the brain-injured teenager's life, the value of the sports star's life, the value of a brilliant professor's life, the value of the street person's life, the value of the cognitively disabled's life, the value of an infant's life, the value of a hobbled elderly person's life is not in the contribution that it makes to society, but in the fact it was made in the image of God. Full stop. Our value to the world, our value to each other, you see, is all wrapped up in God, in His value, as the greatest good in the universe. We, we possess, if you like, a reflected value made in His image. We are to image Him. We are the mirrors that reflect His greatness and His glory. And I would suggest to you that anything short of that theology paves the way to Nazi death camps. Forgot my wallet. I was gonna pull out a bill. anybody anybody trust me? You want to give me some money? Nobody trusts me. Nobody's giving me money. I'd like to show you something. Wow. Whoa. That that was awesome. I am in shock that I caught that. Uh, wow. I'm just. I have here a twenty dollar bill. You really trust me. It's not very pristine, it's been in your wallet, but let's just say I do that. And I I was a Boy Scout so I can't do this part, but if I were to throw it on the ground, and step on it, has this crumpled up dirty bill, I can't even get it apart, Has this crumpled up bill been reduced in its value? No. Why is that? Because if I take it to the bank, it's still a $20 bill. It has been made in the image of real wealth. It represents real gold, apparently. (laughs) And even though this bill is marred, It is not reduced in its intrinsic value. So we can say, I just want witnesses that I'm putting the crumpled up $20 bill back in the wallet. We can say this. Not just when God made Adam and Eve, but when God desired to make something more like Himself than anything else, He made you, and he made the person beside you. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but I want to finish out the storyline. Creation, fall, now thirdly, redemption. What's going on? God invades the world, doesn't he, with redemption. God invades the world with a rescue plan. Sin has separated mankind from God. God sends Jesus to pay for those sins, and we acknowledge our brokenness, our crumpled upness, if you like, and ask God to apply the payment of Jesus to us personally. That is why Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, if he possesses relationship with Christ and and thereby with God, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation a new creation or as he writes to the corinthians second corinthians 3:18 we all with unveiled face that is We have been saved, able to now understand God. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same what? Same image, the true Imago day. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when conversion takes place, God invades the world, he makes the way of redemption. When conversion takes place, sanctification begins, which means all of us are involved in this image reclamation project. We're cleaning the mirror, as it were. Every human being a mirror reflecting back to God the imago Day, reflecting to one another the image of God. And when salvation comes into a person's life, it enables this mirror cleansing sanctification so that more and more of the image of God might be seen. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3.10, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Made in the image of God. The image of God marred by sin. Now with redemption, the image of God being restored which takes us fourthly to consummation. Let me have you... Turn to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and I will read for you the first three verses. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. purifies himself as he is pure. The, the, the consummation, that moment when you see God, this is the ultimate image restoration. When we see him, we will be like him. It doesn't mean we become God. It means the image of God will be fully restored. Once and forever, fully bearing the image of God face-to-face to face with your Creator. Creation made in His image, fall, the image distorted by sin, redemption, the image being restored after salvation, consummation, the image finally fully restored. But now I want to go back and apply. So let me begin by addressing the unborn. Because mankind is made in the image of God, every human life is valuable. The question, when does life begin, is an illogical question. When does life begin? It's life. It began. Is an egg dead? Is a sperm an inanimate object? It's alive. Life begins at conception. It did for Jesus. If you look at Luke chapter 1, I think you will see there, if you unpack the chronology of thing, that it was likely Jesus was a five to seven day old embryo when Elizabeth refers to him as Mary's child and my Lord. Was there some fuzzy period where Jesus was not in heaven and not in the womb? Did he have to wait till a certain period of gestation before he left heaven? I don't think so. And brothers, this means that every single human life is valuable and must be protected and must be honored. If the blood of murdered Abel cried out to God from the ground, what must be the offense to heaven in our country where in my province of Ontario 39,000 children have their lives taken from them every year? In the country of Canada 100,000 abortions annually. Now I... We're different in Canada. This isn't always something that we like to talk about in the church. I think there's reasons for that. I think part of that is some cultural stuff that we have as Canadians that probably needs correction by the gospel. So there's kind of some of this Anglo-Saxon-British hangover that you never talk politics, religion, or anything that might offend anybody um, unless you really have their confidence, and then you just talk about them. Well, my Bible seems to call that gossip, and it doesn't seem to really be standing for the truth. Now, if, if you think that Abel's blood crying out from the ground is something different because Abel was a man, and you're talking about babies in a womb, are they really a person? Let me just help you think through these categories. I have to think through these categories. What determines personhood if the Imago Dei does not? What's left to determine personhood? You are set adrift, my friend. Is is it size? Is a three-year-old more human than a three-week-old? Is it the level of development? Is a 23-year-old college graduate more human than a kindergartner? Don't tell the kindergartner's mom. Is it environment? Environment? Is a two-minute-old newborn more person than a full-term infant in the womb? Is it, is it the exit out of a body that creates personhood? Is a degree of dependency? Is an adult with, with kidney disease on dialysis less human than a fit 30-year-old? You see, All that logic fails and the word of God stands. Value, personhood is determined by being made in the image of God and of all people we have the truth. We possess what is true and we must stand on that truth and champion that truth for the cause of life. Now I am not telling you to march in a parade. I am not telling you that you have to be involved in some particular ministry. What I am suggesting, and especially to those of us who are pastors, is that being made in the image of God is true. That that life being valuable is not only true; it is self-evident. And one of the responsibilities of a responsible pastor is to be like the little boy with the emperor who has no clothes. Remember that story? And everybody else saying, "Oh, look at his lovely robes! Look at his lovely robes!" And finally, the little boy goes, "Hey, he's naked." Well, don't say anything. Christians are the only ones who can stand up and go, "This is ridiculous." what we're doing here. This is untrue. It is self-evident, and it takes the courage of Christian conviction to state what is self-evidently true. If you don't think that it is self-evident, ask yourself the question, why is humanity so interested in these Discovery Channel, you know? surgeries, (laughs) they gross me out, but where you just watch somebody's heart beating in their chest, and we find that very, very interesting. But nobody wants to watch an abortion. I think the reason is there is still a shred of conscience in our culture that internally realizes these two things are remarkably different. You may have had an abortion. You may have helped someone have an abortion. It, abortion is not the unpardonable sin. But it is a sin because it is the taking of human life. And the only way to deal with it is to seek the forgiveness of God that is found in the cross with a Savior who died for murderers. Much more we could say, but let me move on. You think about the unborn, then let us think about the disabled. Let me ask you a question. Is the life of the Patao syndrome girl less valuable because she will die before she turns one? Does her small head, cleft palate, extra fingers, skeletal abnormalities mean that she is less valuable or perhaps not really made in the image of God? I mean, you're going to face it, Pastor. Eventually, it'll come to your ministry, and you're going to look at that family, and they're going to look at their child, and everything is visibly wrong. What will you say? What will your answer be? Will you withdraw in awkward fear? Or will you stand into that moment and hold that little one and say, blessed be God Almighty who created this life. You see, she is fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in her mother's womb, created in the image of God in the words of John chapter nine that the works of God might be displayed in her. I don't know how God is going to display his glory and his grace in this life, but he will. Sometimes I think the disabled give us more of a look into one specific aspect of God's image than any typical person is able to do. Hang out with the disabled for a while. Get past your fears. Let me be frank. I was the guy in school who used to pretend to be the retarded guy. But I have learned more about God from my little son than I think seminary ever taught me. I uh, volunteer with a ministry called the Elisha Foundation gives respite care to families that are raising children with a disability. They hold retreats, they bring the family in. For many families struggling with disability, they never have anyone get involved in their lives. Typically, the, the, the divorce rate in families raising disabled children is over 98%. And they're in your church, or they're trying to get in your church, and I hope you're making it easy for them to get in your church. So I'm involved in this little ministry and it's it's called the Elisha Foundation because it's named after Elisha, Eli who was born with down syndrome. And I don't understand anything Eli says. <laughs> I try really hard. Poor Eli, he tries really hard. He has some speech difficulties and some some dental stuff and other stuff going on that makes it very difficult for him to communicate. But you know what I know? I know Eli loves me because every time I go to speak at a retreat, there's Eli, and that guy, he's getting big now. He crushes me. (laughs) And I want to crush him right back. And that's about the extent of it but he has taught me things about the love of God. He has taught me things about the acceptance of God. Sure, his disability restricts him in other ways. I was talking to my friend John Knight the other day whose son was born without eyes and severe cognitive disability. And he and I were just speaking on the phone, and he referred to Psalm 8, where David says this out of the mouths of infants and babes, babes, he conquers the Avenger. <laughs> infants and babes. And part of what the great warrior David is saying is that God shall use the weakest to destroy the strongest enemy. Because God chooses the foolish and the weak and the despised and the low to shame the wise and shame the strong, to bring to nothing the things that are. We love and we celebrate the disabled not because we've discovered some special gift, some savant ability that thereby justifies their existence or by their contribution. Oh, isn't that neat? That kid can't see, but he can play the piano. Be gone with that stuff and let the Christian world say, no, we celebrate that life because it is made in the image of God. The unborn, the disabled, now your church. Think about the person in your church, the one who sits next to you. If you draw more inspiration from waterfalls than people, if you see more of God in the mountains than in the multitudes, your theology is off. The foundation to my humility, my interest in my love for others is the Imago day. People are not obstacles. they are creatures, body and soul, made in the image of God, and thereby are of superior value in the creation. I have no right to write off anybody. They deserve my honor and respect because they have been made in the image of God. Dr. Megan Best wrote these words. She said, It is not our respect that gives people dignity. Rather, it is because they have dignity that we give them respect. Now think if you can harness the theology of the Imago Dei in your church. What happens in the life of that church when the people of God begin to see everyone else in your church made in the image of God and thereby worthy of respect, worthy of honor, worthy of love? What happens to the people of God when they go out into the world and now these foreigners that are moving into our neighborhood are not foreigners moving into our neighborhood. They are souls made in the image of God even though their bodies may have been made a long way away from here and they are to be valued, and they are to be esteemed, and they are to be honored, and they are to be treated well, and they are to be sought for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I think that as this idea, as this concept gets laid upon your shoulders a little bit, and you become in your church the voice for life in all forms, You take it up and you carry it well. You will see this is the way of God. I think courage is a child of the truth. So, my brothers, my sisters, mount up with courage, stand for the cause of life in our country. We don't need Roe versus Wade, we don't need parades. What we need are people who value life in all of its form because it is made in the image of God. Let us pray. This is such a battle for me, Lord. I'm thinking of that man who cut in front of me on lining up to get on my flight here, (laughs) how utterly angry and judgmental I was in my heart. How easy it is to not value life. I pray you would forgive me. And I pray, Lord, that you would both burden us and free us, burden us with the truth and free us to live in it, knowing that this is right. May our churches be a place where every human soul knows they will be valued and cherished because they've been made in the image of God. Uh, This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.